lives. Uh, please stand with me. We're going to change that, or turn up our Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. We'll be reading verses 12 to the end of the chapter, 12 through 23. Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 through 23. The story here is that uh, the prophet Moses is on Mount Sinai, and the Lord is dealing with him. He's there for 40 days and 40 nights, and a lot is happening. But he's asking for the Lord for something very specific, something that he desires of God. And I think that's something that we should be asking of God also today. So we start reading in Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. If you'll follow with me, I will read it all. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be done here, that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass that while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, desirous to know thee. We ask the same thing that Moses did. Show us who you are. Show us your will. Reveal to us your glory. We desire that, Father, even this morning, because we want to be a part of your plan, a part of your desire to serve you. And so we pray that you will do that even this morning with each heart. May the Holy Spirit have freedom in dealing with each one of us today. For pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. By this time, Moses had seen a lot of very special things. 
he had had experience, experienced a lot of miracles. He had seen how he was, had been preserved as a baby there in Egypt in a miraculous manner. He stood at the burning bush and heard God speak to him. He would also seen the miracle of the rod turning into a serpent and back into a rod. He'd seen the ten, the ten plagues of Egypt. He'd seen how God separated Egypt from Israel and gave Israel their freedom. He'd seen how the crossing of the Red Sea was done in such a miraculous manner. He'd seen water come out from rock. Manna had already been provided in a very miraculous manner. They'd already had some battles over the people of Rephidim and they had the victory. There'd been a pillar of fire at night to guide them and a cloud by day. There was a thunder and lightning there on this mountain as he was there those 40 days and 40 nights. God was writing those stones before him of the Ten Commandments. He'd seen a lot of things. Those experiences even for us would have been major, even one of them. And he'd had already over a dozen. God had already shown himself in many ways. But he still wanted more. He still asked for something very specific. And verse 18 will be our text for this morning. And where Moses came to the Lord and said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now you would have thought, well, he's already seen his glory. Look at all the miracles. Look at all the wonderful things. And sometimes in our own lives, we've seen God work already. We've seen him do some miraculous things in our lives. And we think, wow, God is a great God. He's done a lot. A lot. But you know, we should never be satisfied until we actually see his face. One of the most beautiful hymns that I love to sing is, Face to face I shall see him. You know, it was written by a lady who was blind. And she lost her eyesight when she was very young. And sometimes people would talk about and bemoan the fact that she was blind. And she never regretted it. She never felt deprived. In fact, she said, I'm blessed in many ways. And one of the things that she emphasized time and time again was, the first face that I will ever see when I receive my sight will be the face of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Because she was looking forward to seeing his glory. He wanted to see the glory of God. And you know, God was not displeased with this. God thought that was a good petition. Have you ever thought about what God really wants to show you of him? You know, he would like to show you a lot more, but we just can't stand it sometimes. He told Moses, if I show you everything I've got, you can't handle it. Now, can you imagine a great God that has so much that our mind would explode if he, just, he provided everything he could? We would die because his glory is so great. And we know that what he did here with Moses was something very limited. It didn't show him everything. 
He said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by and you're going to see my back parts. But just that causes, caused Moses' face to shine to where they couldn't even stand it. He had to put a veil, a piece of cloth over his face to hide it because the people couldn't stand the brightness of the shining of his face. Just seeing that little bit. Oh, how wonderful it's going to be to see his entire glory. But you know, he doesn't just want to wait until we get to heaven. He wants to reveal himself constantly to us. And here, the prophet was asking God, you know, I don't just want to see your glory. I want, to, I want the assurance that what I'm doing is your will. Many times I've talked to young people and had people come to me for advice and say, I just want to know what God wants me to do. That's a very common question. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear that question. I'm overjoyed when someone says, I want to do what God wants me to do. Because they're, they're, they're recognizing his sovereignty over them. His authority. His control. What bothers me the most today is people do not want to know his will. When someone says, I do not care about it, I have my own will, I have my own plans, that is what really breaks my heart. Because I know that even though sometimes we might not see the will like we want it to, he might not provide everything to us. Now remember, Moses wanted to see him and he says, I can't show you everything, I'm just going to show you a small part. He still does that with us today. When we want to know, what do you want me to do? I'm just going to show you a little bit. Sometimes he only shows us for that day. I remember when I was a young person and I wanted to know, well, what's my future going to be? What's my career? What, what, and I wanted to serve God and I surrendered to be a preacher when I was 12 years old. And I thought, man, I'm going to be a missionary pilot. That was my big goal. I thought that was God's will for me. Well, I got to do a little bit of that, but that really wasn't God's will for me. He took me in a totally different direction than when I thought I was going to go. And I look back and I say, praise the Lord, he did. I don't regret it one bit. I praise the Lord that he's allowed me to be a part of this church now for almost 43 years. As a missionary out of this church. I never thought that would have happened. I had an interesting story about that. We had been members of the church here for about six months. And I was assured that in my own heart that I was going to be a missionary. And I was just asking the Lord, well, what church do you want me to work with to, to go to the mission field with? And I felt Metropolitan was it. So after some prayer of several times, several months, I called up the pastor. At that time, it was Brother Hugh Atkinson. And I said, I'd like to uh, talk to you. Let's go out and have a meal. And so we went to a, a restaurant and had the meal. And it's my invitation, so I assumed I was paying. And we got up to the uh, cash register afterward. I was going to write a check. They said, we don't accept checks. And I, at that time, I didn't have a credit card yet. They were talking about 43 years ago. And I didn't have enough cash, so guess who ended up paying for the meal? Brother Hugh. <laughs> he said, this is a good start for a missionary. You got it out of me from the very beginning. <laughs> and ever since, this church has been providing for my needs. <laughs> but God wants us to look for his will. But there are several things that are very interesting. Let's go... See what the process that God used here with Moses to reveal himself to him. Going back to verse 21 of Exodus chapter 33, it says, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me 
Thou shalt stand upon a rock. Now, whenever we see this, we can hear how many hymns do we know about standing on the rock? We know what the rock is. In the book of Matthew, that rock is Jesus Christ. The very first step is we have to stand on a rock before we can find out what God really is. You can't know God without, first of all, knowing Christ. Have you ever thought about everything we know about God comes from studying the life of Jesus Christ? We really, at the time when Moses was here having this experience, and even when he wrote these first five books of the Bible, his knowledge of God was very, very limited. He didn't know that much about him. He didn't even know his name initially. Remember the burning bush? He asked him, what is the name? And then he wanted to see his glory. He, he had a curiosity that was overwhelming, but at the same time, the amount of knowledge that he had compared to what we have today is amazingly sparse. Now we know that God is love. Well, how do we know that? Well, it says so, but we also do know that because of the way Christ treated others. How he loved children. How he loved those who were sick. How he rose those that were dead. How he consoled that were those that were suffering. As we study the life of Christ, we get a picture of who God really is. In fact, he said, I have come that ye may know the Father. One of the purposes of Christ's coming, now he could have come as an adult and died right away on the cross for us, but he came as a baby and lived on this earth for 33 years. Why? Because he wanted man to get to know God. Now the problem is, here with Moses, is God is so great, his glory is so grand, that his body, Moses' body was not able to withstand really seeing it properly. So what did God do? He took and incarnated himself. In other words, he made himself a human being. So that that way we could relate. So that way we could see. So that way our senses would be able to withstand understanding what God really is. And he spent those 33 years here on this earth living and leaving a record of it as we read the scripture. So that as we study his life, we might know what God is really like. That's why studying the life of Christ is a very important thing. That's why knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior is really knowing who God is. That's why you have to stand on the rock. The rock is Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we live by faith. Romans 117 says, the just shall live by faith. It also talks about growing from faith to faith. I've been a Christian now for over 50 years. I can tell you I'm a lot different now than when I first got saved at the age of eight. Has my faith grown? I trust it has. You know, faith is not static. Faith is not a one-time thing. It's a constant thing. It means standing. Not just to get saved, but to live. And we stand on the rock. But for Moses to have this experience, not only did he have to stand on this rock, he had to have a heart that was right with God too. I think there's a good example of this in Isaiah chapter 6. Here we find another prophet, the prophet Isaiah, and he also wanted to know God. But notice that before God would reveal himself to him, he had to get his heart right. 
He had to confess who he was. He had to confess that he was a sinner. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. Isaiah 6, 3 says, Verse 5, I'm sorry. Isaiah 6, 5. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the glory, the Lord, the King, the Lord of hosts. Here was another man that saw the glory of God. And immediately when he saw God's glory, he confessed what he really was. He saw the drastic difference between man and God. A lot of times we want to bring God down to our level. We want to make him less than what he is. We want to make him just as bad as we are in some ways. God cannot sin. God is such a great God that it's hard for us to even understand to comprehend him. We can't stand to believe in our face to see him until we've received that special glorified body. You know, we can compare people here in, a, in our world and see that there's some differences. You know, we think of the people that are very wealthy and how they live compared to how we live. And yes, as you get to know them better, they're not that much different than we are, but man, they, their tastes are a lot different than ours are. They're willing to spend a lot more money than we are on something that's very inconsequential. To them, spending $1,000 a night in a hotel is without without thinking twice. It's just part of what they spend. If they go out and eat, well, we we count our pennies, you know. If it's going to cost us $20, $25 to eat a meal, that's kind of a tight for us. They'll spend two to three hundred and not think twice about it. My wife had a brother who married into a very wealthy family, and they lived in a very wealthy home there in Florida. And they had this about everything. And, you know, come time for his birthday, we kind of wonder, well, what can we give someone that has everyone, everything? We surely can't go to the store and buy something for them because they're going to look at that as something not worth anything. What we have to give them is something very personal, something part of us, because otherwise there's no way we can give them anything of material of this world. It's the same thing with our God in some ways. We can't give them anything that we make All we can give him is what he desires the most, and that is our love. That's the greatest gift that God wants from us. But not only do we should stand on the rock, but we should use the rock as our protection. Going back to our text in Exodus chapter 33, look at verse 22, how he put Moses in the cleft of the rock. And Verse 22 says, And it shall come to pass when my glory passeth by... That I will put thee in a cleft of the rock. Now that's between the rocks now. Before he was standing on a rock, now God's moved in between the rocks. That's a place of protection. The rock is used in two different ways here. One is a foundation to stand firm. The other as is, is protection. Christ is not only our foundation, but he's also our protection. For that reason, we don't worry about, well, will my salvation last? Do I have to worry about it being lost? No. Once God has saved me, it's forever. I'm secure. 
I have security. I am protected. Am I concerned about death? No, I'm not. I had the opportunity before our service started to talk with Brother C.R. and his sisters concerning their brother who's going through a lot right now and might not, might not even make it through the day. We don't know, but we're praying for him. And the thing I heard among all of them was, well, you know, we, we're praying that he doesn't suffer much. It's time for him to go in a way. And we don't like to say that. That's not our greatest desire, but all at the same time, we don't like to see suffering. But there's one thing that we, can, we know that allows us to say that. And that is, he knows Jesus Christ as his Savior. And if we know that, we know that if he dies, he will be in the presence of God. So we're not fearful of death. We have that security. We have that cleft that protects us. That place they say, it doesn't matter if death comes by. I have Christ the rock to protect me from the results of death. Death is not a fear anymore. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? It's gone because of Christ, the rock. But there's another thing besides standing on the rock and confessing and making sure your heart is right so that you can, before God, see him and being the, have the protection of it. We also have a confidence when we know God, it gives us a confidence. Isaiah, I won't go over there and read it. In Isaiah chapter 6, we just read verse 5. But in verse 8, once he saw God as he really was, and when God went out and gave the call, whom shall I send? Isaiah's response is, here am I, send me. Use me. And isn't that what Moses is doing here also in this passage of Exodus chapter 33? He's saying, God, you want to use me to guide these people. You want to use me as their leader to follow you into a new land, into a promised land. A future that you've planned for all of us. You want to form a great nation out of us. And you want me to be the leader? And he's saying, I'll do it. And if the, I won't take the time to go through all the verses we read there, but he said, I'll do it if you go with me. The confidence is based on the presence of God with us. The reason we're not scared of death is because we have that confidence that God is with us. How confident are you that you're a part of God's family? You know, one of the things that I've dealt with with some Catholics a time or two is that we have a confidence of what our future is. I know that if I die, I'm going to heaven. And I've had people say, that offends me. No one can know that. And my reply is, wait a minute, why would God make us face such a life of uncertainty? In 1 John chapter 5, he says, I've written these things that ye may know that ye have eternal life. He wants us to know. He wants us to be confident in what's going to happen. And Moses had this confidence because he knew that God was going to go with him. You know, God does not promise us that we will not have trials. But he does promise us he will be with us through the trials. That's our confidence. I'm not confident that I'm going to be without problems. I know that I will have them. I'm not worried about, the. F- I'm not begging God, take away the problems. 
I'm begging God, go with me through the problems. Because I know that he allows the problems with a purpose. And as God prepared Moses for this very special time to reveal himself, a lot of times we ask ourselves, well, I would like to have that experience too. What a wonderful thing to be on a mountaintop and actually see God's glory. But let me tell you, it is available to you. But it's not available through being on Mount Sinai and having it. It's available through knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is seeing his glory. When Moses said, show me thy glory, God said, I want to do it. And he did it when he sent Jesus Christ to this earth. Jesus Christ is the revealed glory. And the apostle John told this to us in the book of, uh, of, of, of John, the gospel of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you ask God, show me your glory, He says, okay, look at my Son. You'll see my glory there. It's really available to us. We think, well, that was a, such a supernatural, a unique experience. Moses had all those great miracles that he saw. All the plagues. All the river, of, uh, the river Nile turning into blood. His rod and his leprosy and all the other things we could mention. Crossing the Red Sea. Oh, wow, what experiences he had. We'll never have something like that. Don't fool yourself. God can give you the very same experience and you can see his glory just as much as Moses did when you get to know Jesus Christ in your life. You will know his glory. But not only is that glory revealed to us, it is a shared glory too. It's a glory that we should be sharing with everyone else. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. First letter that Peter wrote... Chapter 4 and verse 13. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that, the, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. The Bible talks a lot about God's glory. It talks about Christ's glory. It talks about seeing Christ's glory. It also talks about sharing His glory. And there's still a lot more to come. Because when we get to heaven, we're going to even see some more of that. You know, it's never going to end, really. This is an experience that we're going to have the rest of our existence. Not just this life here on earth. One of the great things about heaven is being around God's glory in an even greater way. It grows and grows and becomes more. And we get to see it firsthand. But... Don't think that, oh, well, I have to wait because I don't get to see much now. No, he wants you to even have a share in it today. He wants to give you the appetizer, so to speak. And what is the appetizer supposed to do? It's supposed to make you hungry for more. The purpose of an appetizer is to get your taste buds working. And once they're working, what do they demand? I want more. 
You go to these fancy restaurants and they talk about how much it costs. And they bring that plate out there and look at that and say, that's the portion I get? That sure is a small portion. I'm paying that much. And then we eat a little bit. That sure is good, but I want what? I want more. Now, we're from the States. We're Americans. As you can see, I'm part of, I'm part of my heritage very well. You can see by my weight that I like big portions. When people come from other countries and see how we Americans eat, they sometimes open their mouths wide and say, you Americans sure do like your big portions. Because we like to eat. Well, that's the same thing with God's glory. Here we're just getting a small appetizer. We're going to get some big portions when we get to heaven. I'm looking forward to it. But this glory is not only something that was revealed by Christ, something that we share with others too, but it's a glory that will be permanent. It's preserved. It's secure. It will always exist. Going back to First Peter, let's go to chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Let's read verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a secure glory. It's not something we have to worry about losing. It is kept for us, as is said here in this verse 5. We can take a lot of lessons and we can do a whole teaching on how our salvation is secure. And that's not really what I'm trying to get across here. I just want to say that we don't have to worry about losing it. We can find many examples of this through Scripture. But I'd like to finish off in Acts chapter 7. With someone who realized how great that glory was. He was a deacon in the church at Jerusalem. Didn't last long as a deacon. He was one of the first martyrs. He was stoned to death. And of course, if you know who I'm talking about by now, it's Stephen. He had to defend himself before the religious elite, the establishment of that day there in Jerusalem. And when he preached to them, he revealed their sinfulness, their condition, and instead of them acknowledging their sinful nature and repenting and confessing that sin, they turned on him. It made them mad that he revealed their sin to them. And in that anger, they killed him, stoned him to death. And right before he died, in verses 55 and 56 of Acts chapter 7, we find how Stephen died. Acts 7, 55, but he, referring to Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, 
and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. He saw the glory. You know, that's really a theme throughout Scripture. It isn't just Moses that said, show me thy glory. Time and time again, we saw men of God having that experience of knowing the glory of God. I trust you know the glory of God in your life too. Have you seen him as your savior? Do you see him as your guide even today? Do you see him as your master? Do you see him as the sovereign over your life? Because when you see him in those ways, you also see his glory. How great a God he is. How perfect of a God. And it also changes you so much that people notice it. When Moses came down from that mountain, like I said before, his face was shining and everybody knew it. If you walk out among the world today, can they say, you seem different. It's happened to me many times. And a lot of people say, well, that's wonderful. Boy, you must have a really good, you know, and I, I, I stop and say, wait a minute. Why should it be unusual? It should be common. For a Christian, it should be common that everyone else says, you're different. If you're trying to conform to this world, you're not going to have that shining face. You're not going to seem different. We're scared to be different many times. We're afraid we get singled out. We might be targets because we're different. I say that's exactly why we should be different. Because that shows that we have known the glory of God. Remember the people that were in Jerusalem said about the disciples that they knew that they'd been with Jesus because of the impact he had on their lives. Men who were common, no education, nothing special about them. But because they spent time with Jesus, they were different. That glory affects us. It changes us. It makes us different. I hope you're different. I hope you want to be different. I don't want to be run of the mill. I don't want to be like everyone else. If you're really honest with yourself, your dreams and your desires are the same thing. You don't want to be lost in the crowd. Well, people do some strange things not to be lost in the crowd. As I walk around our world today, I see people dressing so differently. They use their dress to draw attention to themselves. And I say, they want people to notice them. But they're looking, using, using it and desiring it for the wrong reasons. They want to become famous. They admire the great movie stars and singers or other people, or politicians, or whatever you might call those people that are well known. They, I want to be like that because I want to be, I want to, everyone to know Really, you can't have that, but it's not going to be what you think it is. If you're a Christian and you really want to follow Christ, you're going to be different and people will notice it. They might not like you for it, but they're going to notice that you're different. Just like Moses, whose face was shining, our life needs to shine also. But remember... That light does not come from us in itself. It's just a reflection of who God is. Moses did not produce that light. Christ produced that light in him. 
He was just a reflection. Because the light of the world is our God. His glory is a form of light. And that's why when we follow him, we are the light of the world also. May we be that light. Father, I pray that you would now take this message that we've seen today. This statement that Moses made. Show me thy glory. And maybe our desire also to know your glory. To reflect your glory. To stand in your glory. To enjoy your glory. To know that your glory comes because we are close to thee. Father, there are some requirements to have that glory around us. We have to confess our sin. We have to be willing to set ourselves aside. We have to be willing to set our will aside. We have to be willing to do what you want us to do. We have to stand on the rock. We have to depend on you to protect us. But when we do those things, the experience is a wonderful experience. I trust that everyone here has had that experience. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation. With Earl, what number is it going to be? Number 163. Number 163, if you'll stand with me, please. The altars are open if you would like to come and pray. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'll be glad to spend some time and show you how you can become saved even this morning. How you can know God's glory this very morning. But you need to come and do it. And we're more than willing to help you. Whatever God is leading at this moment in your heart, you answer God's invitation. On this very first verse. much for being here with us this morning. I trust that you were blessed. 
We invite you to be here back at 6 o'clock because we're having that report of our missionary trip to Mexico. We've got some pictures and some other things to share. And maybe if I have enough time, we have a short message. But we, we really enjoy having you here. Pray for the Domini family as they're going through what they're going through right now. Be with, also pray for the elves that are traveling. We have a lot that are out on vacation and also others serving uh, and uh, in, all over the world, really, serving the Lord today. So, Brother Earl, if you lead us in our uh, chorus for the, for the month, we'd appreciate it. Amen. No choir practice. This is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior.